You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, we're going through the Bible verse by verse, and we are now in Matthew chapter 19 as we journey our way through. Get your Bibles out and find your way to Matthew chapter 19. Title of the message this morning is God's Design for Marriage. Uh, Here we are going through verse by verse, and wouldn't you know it, in God's sovereignty here on Valentine's Day, what passage do we have? Well, a passage on marriage. And uh, I would love to say that I planned all that out, but all I can say, it's better to be blessed than it is to be good, right? Just uh, just how the Lord worked it out. So thankful for that. And it's really the beauty of going through the scripture verse by verse is you just get what the Lord gives you. And... uh, um, uh, get to learn the, the whole counsel of God's word. So uh, uh, God's design in marriage. That's our Valentine's message today. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord as we open his word. Jesus, we come before you. And Lord, we do so because we know you are a good God. You're a God who loves to pour your favor on your people. And Lord, we need your blessing in our life. Without you leading, guiding, and directing us, Lord, we would have no hope. We know that uh, we love you because you first loved us. We know that you chose us. We know that you are the initiator. We are merely the responder. So Lord, will you reach into our lives today? Will you have mercy on us? And will you pour your spirit out upon us that we might hear, that we might receive, that we might be instructed in the wonderful counsel that comes from your word? Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing, so give us ears to hear this morning. We ask it in Jesus' holy name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, God's design for marriage, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, I was looking at some Valentine's Day cards this week, and you know what I realized? There's a lot of confusion about romance. Some pretty crazy cards out there. I saw cards from husbands to wives that were so childish. I thought, what kind of guy would give a childish card like that to his wife? Uh, Crazy. I saw uh, cards for uh, uh, wife and wife and and all kinds of crazy cards, right? Uh, And I thought, wow, there's a lot of confusion about marriage. Uh, I know when I got married, I was pretty confused about it. And I'm still kind of confused about it at times, right? Uh, But the Lord is faithful and he guides us. And here uh, we're going to see today, we're going to see God's incredible design for marriage so that we don't have to be confused. We can know what God's will is and we can know how to walk in it. And uh, really a, a, a cool passage that we're jumping into. Uh, The first few verses will kind of set the stage for where we're going in it. Um, And uh, we won't be talking about marriage right right out of the bat, uh, but we'll we'll get into it in 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 verse 4. So um, let's jump in. Are you there? Matthew chapter 19? If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. You got your Bibles open? You got your fingers on the spot? Here's where we pick up. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. That he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea 
beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him. And he healed them there. Isn't that awesome? I, I just never tire of seeing that about Jesus. All the multitudes coming to him and he heals them. He blesses them. Uh, he heals all those who come to him. And, and he says, oh, I just want to help you. This is our Savior. This is who he is. Uh, he heals them there. Verse 3. Then the Pharisees also came to him, testing him. Big difference. The others come to him and he heals them. The Pharisees come to, them, come to Jesus and they're testing him. Saying to him, saying to Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Wow, what a contrast. Right out of the gate, we'll stop there just for a minute and kind of di dissect this and look at the depth of these verses. But right out of the gate, we see a big difference, don't we? We see that right out of the gate, not all who come to Jesus come honestly. Big difference in the way these two groups come. One group comes to worship and say, oh, Jesus, help me. And Jesus heals them. Another group comes and says, no, 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 no. We don't come to worship. We come to test. A big, big difference. There are some interesting things that we see here in our text. Notice what it says. It says, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. What sayings? What sayings is he talking about? Well, we've been looking at it for the last several weeks. It started in chapter 16. Jesus began teaching repeatedly and emphatically I'm going to the cross. You see, we are at a portion of scripture right now where we are on the last month or maybe two months of Jesus' life. And he's been teaching the disciples, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders. They are going to scourge me. They are going to whip me. They are going to crucify me. But do not be afraid, I will rise on the third day. And repeatedly Jesus was telling them this, but every time the disciples heard it, here's what they heard, blah, 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 I'm going to set up my kingdom. Because they had preconceived ideas that they couldn't get out of their mind. And all of us have this problem. We come to church today with our preconceived ideas. And it's really hard for us sometimes to actually hear what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus repeatedly was teaching them, hey, I'm going to the cross and this is going to happen. He was also teaching them about sonship, about daughtership. You are my sons. This is my kingdom. I am the creator of the universe. You are living in my kingdom, the kingdom of God. And this is, I want you to know, you are sons. And if you're sons of the kingdom, you're heirs of the kingdom. The kingdom is yours. The universe is yours. He wanted them to understand their sonship before he passed on. Oh, how great it is. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. 
Brethren, now we are the children of God, and yet it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be transformed. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is our promise. This is what Jesus was teaching. Your sons, your daughters of the kingdom. I know you're living in a world where it doesn't feel like you're a lot different than everybody else. But oh, you are. Everything is yours. And I want you to know the inheritance you have in me, Jesus was teaching them. The third thing he was teaching them, uh, going to the cross, sonship, daughtership. The third thing is, lavish forgiveness is yours, and I want you also to be a lavish forgiver. And he went and he told the story, and we looked at it, uh, a, a parable, a, a heavenly story, uh, excuse me, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to help us understand what his kingdom is all about. And he says, oh, it's like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, and he would leave the ninety and nine and climb the mountains to find him to forgive and to take him and to, to heal him and to bring him back into the fold and bring him back into the family. That is the Father's love for you. And uh, then he would go on and teach about forgiveness and say, uh, oh, I just want to, you know, taught the story that we looked at last week of the, the guy who owned just billions of dollars and the king just forgave him. This is our kingdom. This is our God. This is our Savior. And he's going. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to ascend up into heaven. He's not going to be there with them forever, but he wants them to know. And that's what he's saying here. He says, after Jesus finished teaching them these sayings, after he finished repeatedly over and over building these, these things in them, he, he, he uh, departs from Galilee and uh, goes into the region beyond the Jordan. And we see, uh, as we mentioned, that the, uh, two different groups and how they come to him so differently. Some coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, help me, and he heals them. Some coming to Jesus with a judging heart, with a duplicitous heart, with a self-righteous heart, with a heart that thought, uh, I'm better than you, right? And, and uh, very interesting. They didn't come to learn from Jesus. They didn't come to worship Jesus. They came to judge Jesus. And this was the case of the religious leaders testing him. And I want you to know the same thing happens today. Here today, even in church, some of us are here to worship Jesus and to learn from Jesus. And some of us came in with more judgmental attitudes. Maybe judging the sermon, maybe judging your neighbor, maybe judging the donuts at the donut table. I don't know. We just come in with a self-righteous attitude. And I want you to know it's not always a conscious decision. As a matter of fact, it rarely is. It's generally more subliminal. What would cause these religious leaders to come to Jesus with a judgmental testing heart? What might cause that? Let me hear from you. Pride, okay. Fear, fear of what? Fear of being exposed. Really insightful answer. What else? Jealousy. Jealousy, oh, good answers. Yeah, what else? Unbelief, okay. It's interesting, it's not always a conscious decision to come in thinking highly of yourself or to come in kind of judging, but, but here's how they come in. It's a, a, maybe a subliminal decision 
It's very, uh, very telling though. Uh, a lot of times we come in with a judgmental spirit because we're insecure. And it's very interesting what our insecurity does. Our insecurity wants to elevate ourselves and put down others. Isn't that an interesting byproduct of being insecure? And what's really interesting to consider is religious leaders are often the most insecure. And they use religion to hide their insecurity so that they look right. The Bible would say, be careful when you enter into the house of the Lord and enter in to listen, to hear, to receive, and not to speak, lest you give the sacrifice of fools. Interesting. And uh, that's what was happening here with the religious leaders. They come in testing Jesus. Uh, Jesus is very interested, not only that we come to him, but how we come to him. And here we see that Jesus does not reveal himself to the proud, and but he heals and he blesses the humble. And over and over and over in scripture, we find this to be true, uh, that Jesus resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And by proud, I don't mean, uh, uh, you know, like I'm proud of my kids or anything like, not that kind of pride. Pride as in uh, a pride that says, oh, I'm better than you, or I'm, just has that, that mindset, right? And Jesus resists those and he gives grace to the humble. There's a passage in Isaiah that I want to bring to your attention. It kind of illustrates this. It's Isaiah 57. It's on your screens. Isaiah 57, 15. Let me hear you read this church as one thundering voice. One voice together. Let me hear. For thus says the, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Interesting passage. Consider the juxtaposition. Consider what God has put before us. Notice what he says. He says, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who dwells in heaven in all the majesty and splendor of, of heaven and the glory of God, the one whose name is holy. What does that mean? He's set apart from everything else. He is righteous and true in all of his ways. Uh, look what he says. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place. Yeah, in heaven, a glorious place where all the angels, all the seraphim bow down before him in awe and just worship him. I dwell there, but I also dwell with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. How amazing, how amazing our God, that he would condescend and he would care about us and he would reach into our feeble little lives and say, hey, I'm your father and if you call upon me, I will come to you, I will dwell with you, I will walk with you, I will lead God and direct you. And here we see uh, with Jesus uh, just how good he is, the humble receive Jesus, but the self-righteous reject Jesus and it is the same today. 
God gives grace to the humble, but he doesn't reveal himself to the self-righteous or to the proud or to those who think they're better. Uh, just an amazing uh, God who just loves a pure, <clears throat> excuse me, a pure and honest relationship. We see something interesting in our text here that uh, needs to be unpacked. I don't know if you caught it or not. Let's take a look at it again. Uh, look at verse 1. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, we talked about that, he departed from Galilee. That's the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus loved to do ministry. The Sea of Galilee is a beautiful area. He would skirt the Sea of Galilee. And oh, there's, there's rolling hills with just this beautiful grass coming up. It's still largely undeveloped today. It's a beautiful area. Jesus loved spending his time there. He spent a lot of time in ministry. And look what it says. He departed from Galilee and he came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Beyond the Jordan, I want to draw your attention to those words. Here's what's happening. Jesus leaves Galilee and he's going to Jerusalem. And he knows as he's going, it'll be his final trip. And he looks back at the Sea of Galilee and all the people and relationships that he built there. And he knows he will not be back until after his resurrection. And he leaves Galilee and he's going to Jerusalem. We are now one month, maybe two at the most, away from Jesus' Passover death. Where he's going to go to the cross and be crucified. And he's leaving the Sea of Galilee, going down into Jerusalem. And the natural way to go would be through Samaria. Here's a map on your screens. Here's what it would look like. There's the Sea of Galilee up at the top. There's Capernaum at the top of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus headquartered. And he would minister all around there. And then he comes down, Jerusalem down there at the bottom of the map. And he gets to uh, Samaria and... Uh, something happens. Luke's gospel tells us the Samaritans rejected Jesus and wouldn't let Jesus pass through Samaria. Can you imagine? Jesus, the one who's going to the cross to save all of them for their sins, and they say, no, you can't pass through our land. And so he has to do something. He has to take a detour. And look where he has to go. He crosses over the Jordan. Goes down through Perea. And then gets down by where Jericho is. Uh, where the 12 spies crossed over and entered into the land many you know, thousand years ago. And uh, now crosses over to go into Jerusalem there. And uh, the Bible tells us that when the Samaritans wouldn't let Jesus pass through... There were two disciples who got pretty torqued. You know who they are? James and John. James and John. Uh, the nickname, what's their nickname? Sons of Thunder. Uh, they were both sons of a man named Zebedee. Zebedee must have been a hothead. And James and John must have been a hothead. Because they were called the Sons of Thunder. And you know what uh, the Bible tells us James and John said? They got so torqued, I mean, they're going to have to walk a lot of extra miles right now. And they're like, Jesus, this is ridiculous, man. This isn't right. And uh, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and just to torch them all like Elijah did? <laughs> oh, they were hoping he would say yes, right? They were like, 
And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to kill, but to save. Wow. This is our Creator. This is our Savior. Notice how good He is. Even when people are rejecting Him, He's showing them mercy and waiting for the day when he can draw them to himself and try again. What a good God. What a good Savior. Look how he practices all that he just taught us about forgiveness last week. Just amazing. And James and John, by the way, again, what's their nicknames? Sons of Thunder. John, transformed by Jesus, got a new nickname, the disciple who Jesus loved. And Jesus turns him from being this hothead into a man that is uh, just dear and tender writing the book of John. What a transformation. Uh, what an amazing God. And so uh, this is what's happening. Uh, they're being, uh, you know, having to come down all the way down. And so Jesus crosses over the Jordan and crosses into this area of Perea. And there it tells us that great multitudes followed him and Jesus healed them all. Think about what they were healed of. They were healed of their diseases, their infections, their bacterias. Ooh. Uh, uh, they were healed of all their deformities. What are deformities? Deformities are things that you were born with. A limb that didn't come out right or some kind of weakness. A lazy eye, a bad leg or whatever. Jesus would heal them of all their diseases, of all their deformities. Jesus would heal their blindness. Jesus, they weren't able to hear. They were maimed. Jesus would heal their were ma maimed. What is maimed? What is maimed? Maimed is injured from a hardship in life. And Jesus had compassion on them. And he healed them. And he blessed them. And, uh, you know, just amazing. This is who he is. I love that about him. Jesus saves all who come to him honestly. Jesus saves all who come to him honestly. May we be careful how we come to him. May we really pay attention. Uh, he is a God who just saves those who come to him honestly. Notice this about him. This is his person. His desire is to heal the afflicted, to bless the lowly, and to give life to those who come seeking him for him. If you have not made that decision to make Jesus your Lord, to receive his amazing love, oh, I would encourage you, do not leave without saying, Lord, please forgive me a sinner. I need you in my life. I want to know your love. I want to be healed by you. I want to be transformed. I want to be taken from a son of thunder into a son of God, into a daughter of God. I want to be transformed, Lord. Heal my life. And when we come to him humbly, he will. Uh, as a side note, Jesus' pace from this point on is going to be a blistering pace. It's astonishing how much Jesus accomplished in this next uh, one month of life. 
I mean, it's going to be nonstop with profound teaching. He will continue to heal just multitudes of people. He will continue to train the disciples. He will give the Olivet Discourse, which I can't wait to get in with you in Matthew 24 and 25. He will raise the dead. He will go to the temple that has been changed from what God intended it to be and become a place where people are using it to make money and to fleece others. And he will overturn the tables drive out the money changers and bring it back into a house of prayer, into a house where uh, he can, uh, his people can come and call upon him and he can heal them. Oh, this is all that Jesus is going to do in such a short time. And I tell you what, it is nothing less than divine. It reveals his supernatural power. He changed the world. And he was, a, you know, a poor man. It's just amazing, amazing uh, how incredible he is. Uh, John, in describing Jesus, uh, would say this about him. Those who he loved, he loved to the very end. I mean, he squeezed out as much love as he possibly could as he went to the cross for them. And uh, uh, John, looking back, would recall it that way. Well, let's get into our uh, topic that they bring to the, to the table uh, these religious leaders, they don't come to Jesus for Jesus. They come to Jesus to elevate themselves. Dangerous place to be. Subliminal, I'm sure. And they come testing him and they ask this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus doesn't heal them. Jesus doesn't bless them. Jesus doesn't move in their life. Very important how we come to him. Verse 4, let's look at what Jesus responds. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read? Interesting answer. Have you not read? Who were these guys that were asking this question? Who were they? They were the religious leaders. And Jesus' answer to them was, Pastor, have you not read? Why are you asking this question? Have you not read? Don't you understand God's will? Don't you know God has shown you the things that you're questioning? By the way, if you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord, I hope that you do not spend a ton of time regularly asking Jesus, oh, I just want to know your will, Lord. What's your will? What's your will? What's your will? Because God has revealed his will in his word. They don't need to say, Jesus, what is your will on divorce? What do they need to do? They need to read his word. And Jesus goes to those religious leaders and says, guys, really? Have you not read? And look what he takes them. Look what he does. He takes them back to Genesis chapter 2. Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning, do me a favor, circle the words made them, and underline the words, in the beginning. He who made them a creator, your designer, in the beginning, from the foundation of time, he does not change. Again, I was in the card aisle, a lot of confusion about what marriage is. From the beginning, God has established marriage. It has not changed. It is his design. And here's what he says, do you not know, have you not read that from the beginning, he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? Wow, that would bring a lot of clarity to us today. 
2,000 years ago, they were confused about marriage. 2,000 years later, we're even more confused. And he says, first of all, I want you to know they were made male and female. Second thing he says is, and for this reason, a man, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What's that? Yeah, here's, what, here's my will towards marriage. Men, you would leave your mother and father. You would quit being a dependent and you would leave that and you would become a provider, a builder. And then you would take a, a wife for yourself and you would be joined with her and you would be one flesh. So then, verse 6, they are no longer two, no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Here we see God's design for marriage and it is brilliant. What an incredible design. God made man and God made woman. And he did it from the beginning. And he made them very differently that they would come together and be one flesh. Brilliant design. Just amazing. I love God's design, don't you? I look at guys and guys are hairy and gruff. And women are soft and smooth. And I think, wow, what a beautiful design. Frankly, guys, I have to be honest. I look at you, I look at me, and I'm amazed they would ever be attracted to us. And yet God's design is amazing. Just amazing. God made men to be conquerors. Little boys from the earliest age, man, they're king of the hill. They're trying to knock their buddy off. They're trying to hit the ball farther, trying to, you know, score a goal better. They're just trying to be conquerors. Little girls from the beginning are nurturers. I remember my little, my daughter, you know, she was a tomboy, but even as a tomboy, she was just soft and as nurturing as could possibly be. Just amazing the difference. You, uh, you know, four kids, a little girl comes along. Wow, big difference, just amazing. And this is God's design, and it's just brilliant. He made men with a need to be respected. He made women with a need to be secure. And you put those two together, and they're amazing. They're powerful. He made men where they're attracted to beauty. He made women where they're attracted to strength and character. What an amazing design. What amazing design. He made men and women so different, and I marvel at this. He made men where they can't even find their own socks, and he made women where they just know where everything is, right? Uh, yesterday, Lisa and I were going over to Don and Macy's house to play pickleball, and I go, baby, do you know where my sweatshirt is? I've looked everywhere for my black sweatshirt. Uh, she goes, yeah, it's hanging up in the closet. I go, no, it's not. I looked in there. She goes, no, it's in there. I say, hey, can you help me find it? She walks in there. 
Here it is. I'm like, how did you do that? Right? It's like amazing. She knew right where it was, you know? And that's just the beauty of how God designed men and women. God designed men and women, uh, both with a desire to be needed, both with a desire to be cared for and loved. And here's God's design. He has what she needs, and she has what he needs, and they come together as one flesh, and kaboom, it is powerful. Their needs are met in serving each other. What an incredible design. And Jesus says, hey, from the beginning, don't you remember this is how I set it up? That I would bring you together and you would have gifts and you would have gifts and you'd come together as one flesh and your needs would be met in explosive ways. I would just be powerful working in that and oh, together you'll be one flesh. This is God's will. This is God's design in marriage and may I say it is brilliant. That our needs would be met through serving each other. Imagine, here's God's design, right? Imagine if you had a couple. And this person said, oh, I only exist to meet your needs. And this person said, no, 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 not at all. I only exist to meet your needs. No, 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 no. I want to meet your needs. No, no, I want to meet your... Oh, how amazing would that relationship be? And that is God's design in marriage. That's how he set it up. Millions of Valentiners today. Is that a word, Valentiners? I don't think so. Uh, Millions of Valentiners searching for love. Searching for love tonight. Do you know what kind of love they are looking for? Do you know what they are desiring? They're desiring the kind of love that God designed marriage to be. It's an amazing design, and it cannot be found anywhere else. A husband and wife selflessly serving each other as they both follow Jesus as Lord. Oh, how powerful. Guys, do you want to know something? Men are, excuse me, women are looking for a man who will take responsibility for the family. To be a provider, just like God, Jesus described here in this passage. To take responsibility for the family's physical and spiritual well-being. Men who would sacrificially lead to make sure their kids are well cared for and and well fed and taken care of. It's just an amazing design. To be men who made sure the kids were disciplined. Not running around aimlessly without tight boundaries. But disciplined and respectful. And honoring authority. Both at home and at school. And in the neighborhood and into the neighbor. Do you remember the days when you called your neighbor? Well hello Mr. Smith. Hello Mrs. Smith. Oh those were good days. And we have departed from that. And God uh, has made men were men. This is your role to be a spiritual leader in your family. That you are making sure that that authority is in place. That the kids are respecting that authority. Beginning with their, respecting their authority with their mother. 
Isn't it amazing how different God made men and women? Men have that deep voice. Women have that soft, nurturing voice. But what happens? Little Johnny gets a little bit older. And because mom has a soft, nurturing voice, he thinks he can step on mom. And dad only has to go, hey, 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 hey. That's your mother. You respect her. And little Johnny goes, oh, okay, right? Oh, that's God's design. That's God's design. And uh, so important that we don't depart from this. Uh, this is what God designed it to be. Women are looking for it, guys. That's what, that's what a woman wants in a marriage, in a relationship. Uh, men who take responsibility. Uh, men who are in tune with their kids. Um, uh, I forget if it was Thursday night or Friday night. Uh, Lisa and I, uh, I got home late from work. And uh, I got home and uh, kind of spontaneous. I said, hey, let's go for a walk. And it was like 8.30 at night. And she goes, I'm kind of tired. I said, come on, come on, let's go. Let's go for a walk. So we went down to the 101 and we went for a walk down the 101. And it was beautiful. Kind of a little chilly out, you know. We're snuggling, walking down the 101 together. And we come back and we go to that little boba place and we order one of those acai bowls, right? And, uh, you know, this giant bowl, two spoons. You know, it better be giant. It's like $11. Uh, this giant bowl. Uh, and so we sit down there by the fire and we're two spoons in this acai bowl and we're just, you know, just a great night. And so we finish and I go to get back in the car and as we go to get back in the car, I notice two cars in the parking lot, two hoods up like this, but no cars running. Two hoods up, no cars running. And I realize there's one of the cars is a mom and her two daughters and the other car with a hood up are these two teenage boys about the same age as the girls and uh, they're just, you know, nothing's running. So Lisa looks at me like, you know, I said, okay, I'll go over there, I'll help him. So I come over, hey, do you guys need any help? Uh, yeah, we can't get the car started. And uh, the girl's on the phone with dad. Uh, red on red, he's trying to tell her. Black on black, you know. Negative, black on, on negative. And he's trying to tell her, and they can't get the thing started. And I come over, and we're able to get the thing started. And, and uh, But here's what I noticed. Uh, these girls were way too young. Must have only been like, you know, 15 years old. I don't know, but somewhere around there. But, and... Like I said, it'd be 16, they were driving, but they looked very young. And uh, it's about 50 degrees outside, and they're dressed as if it was 105 degrees outside. <laughs> and I realize why these two boys who don't know which end the jumper cable goes on are trying to help these two girls. <laughs> and you say, Pastor Dave, where in the heck are you going with this story? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, Dad, where are you? Do you see the flies that are buzzing around your daughter? It's because she is not dressed like a woman of God, but about something far less valuable. And I don't know, maybe the dad was out of state or somewhere. I, have, I mean, he should have been there starting the car, but maybe he was on a business trip. Nothing wrong with that. But here's where something is radically wrong. Where did she get those clothes? And where did she get the money for those clothes? And where did the wife uh, who's there with the daughters find that acceptable? And where was the boundaries and the authorities and the, the established principles that need to be in this family? You see, when a man abdicates his role, it 
crumbles, it erodes the whole fabric of the family. Not only the family, but the whole fabric of the neighborhood. Not only the neighborhood, but the whole fabric of the church. Not only the church, but the whole fabric of the country. And if you've watched the news this week and you saw this ridiculous thing about these impeachments that went absolutely nowhere and cost, once again, tons of time and unproductivity, uh, one thing we realize, we have lost our way. There is a lack of respect of authority, there is a lack of wisdom, and there is a lack of, of uh, discernment about what is right and wrong. We've lost our way. And Jesus says, have you not read from the beginning what my plan was for marriage? Why is this not happening? Do you know what the Bible says about, about the, the last days, about the final days before Jesus returns? It talks about leaders of nations, and you know how it describes them? It says, children will lead them. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the last days. I have seen incredibly childish leadership over the last several years, and we're not getting any better. Uh, uh, here, Jesus taking him back says, man, haven't you read? Don't you know uh, this is the way it's meant to be? Uh, guys, men, husbands, Valentine's Day, let's realign, man. Let's be men who are discipling our children who are, are giving good discipline to our children, who are strong in our faith in Jesus. Let us not be man babies running around like irresponsible children, playing with toys and women's hearts and various things. No, 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 no. Let us be men who build up their wives, who are spiritual leaders, who grow our families in wisdom and character. And I realize that as I give a message like this, you say, gosh, Dave, kind of hard this morning, man, lighten up. Uh, yeah. Hey, it's just what we're going through. I didn't choose the text. It chose me. Uh, uh, here we are, right? Uh, I realize this morning that maybe you find yourself and you're like, man, well, you know, I kind of have been a selfish leader. I kind of have been just about my thing, and I'm not really paying attention to what my kids are doing. Oh, uh, hey, if that's the case, no judgment, no judgment, but repent. Repent. Just come to the Lord, lamed and maimed, and say, Jesus, save me. I need your help. I need you to heal me. I need you to heal my family. I need you to heal my marriage. Men, you are the spiritual leader. It just means your responsibility. When Eve went and did the wrong thing in the garden, who did God come looking for? Adam, where are you? What the heck happened here? This is under your watch. Uh, guys, no, no judgment. Just repent and say, Jesus, save me. And he heals all that come to him with a broken and contrite heart. We've already looked at that. Here's a point I want you to hold on to. Here's a point I want you to write down. We cannot experience God's amazing design in marriage unless we obey Jesus as Lord. It's not possible both husbands and wives, unless we're both obeying Jesus as Lord. I don't care if you go to church. I don't care if you sing songs. I don't care what you do. If you don't obey Jesus as Lord, as your boss, as your authority, if you don't know his word and are implementing it in your life, you will not experience the brilliant design that God designed marriage to be. 
And God wants you to, to, to experience it. And me as your pastor want God's will for you. I want you to experience it. God's design for marriage is brilliant. And if you're looking for love and fulfillment and purpose in, 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 uh, in your home, look no further than God's design for marriage. It's amazing. And notice Jesus quotes here from Genesis chapter 2. He says, have you not read? And he takes him back to the beginning because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no confusion about what marriage is. He takes him back. Let's, uh, let's look what he... Actually, Jesus goes to Genesis, so let's ourselves go to Genesis. And let's look at the passage that Jesus takes them to. Genesis 2. <clears throat> Flip over, if you will. First book of the Bible, of course, Genesis chapter 2, so right on the first couple pages. And this is the verse that Jesus was quoting from. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. <laughs> Let's look what, what happens here. Uh, God has, has made Adam. Uh, he's in the Garden of Eden. Uh, they've got an ultimate setup, right? I mean, there's, a, uh, there's no weeds. There's no work. Uh, just in fellowship with God. And verse 18, uh, here we are. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Uh, it's not good that man should be alone. Uh, God, man is not, uh, you know, not complete by himself. He needs a helper comparable to him. The word helper, by the way, is the interesting word in Hebrew. It means uh, a counterpart. The best way I could describe it would be a jigsaw puzzle piece. If you take a jigsaw puzzle piece and you take another puzzle piece that's the counterpart to it and you put those two together, it creates a picture. And that's exactly what God is saying here with man and woman. I will make a helper, a counterpart to him, and we are like puzzle pieces. We fit together both physically and spiritually. We fit together like that. And it creates a picture. The Bible says God created male, uh, God created uh, them in the image of God, both male and female he created in the image of God. That means Adam bears some of the attributes of God and Eve bears some of the attributes of God and as they come together it's a fuller picture of the image of God. Lisa and I come together and we bear a fuller image of the uh, person of God than I do by myself or she does by herself. So he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper, a counterpart to him. Verse 18, and uh, look what happens. Out of the, uh, verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. What the heck? Every bird of the air. And he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever, whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field, to the dogs, to the cats, to you know, the giraffes, the, the dinosaurs, all of it. God gives, uh, Adam names them all. Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But look at this. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. What's that? God says it's not good that man should be alone. You would think the next thing God would do would be what? Make woman. That's not what God does next. What does he do next? Makes animals? What the heck? And I can picture this, right? There's Adam 
hanging out with God. God says, Adam, check this out. Look at this animal. Oh my gosh, Lord, that's amazing. I'm going to call that a rhino. Look at that thing. What a big, huge honking machine. That's just incredible. And he looks at it. He looks at the rhino and he sees the male and he, he sees a female. And he looks at himself and he goes, I'll call that a rhino. Then next, a giraffe comes by. And uh, he goes, oh my gosh, Lord, your design's incredible. Look at that big, long neck. It's amazing. And he looks at the two giraffes. He goes, oh, interesting. I'll call those giraffes. And on and on it goes. Every animal. He gets to the end of the equation. And what happens? What does Adam realize? It's not good that man should be alone. There's no helper comparable to me. Every creature you made had a counterpart except me. I don't have a counterpart. What just happened here? What just happened? This is how God works. God brought Adam to the same understanding that God already had. That's how God works in our life. God brought Adam to the same realization that he already had. It's not good that man should be alone. Adam finishes that experience and he goes, it's not good that I'm alone. Adam, I'm glad you realize that because I'm going to bring you a wife and it's going to cost you some things. It's going to cost you, cause you to be selfless. It's going to, but it's worth it, Adam. It's worth it. And I imagine Adam felt a despair of loneliness that came upon him right then and there that was like, whoa, I don't have anything like this. So that he would know the value of what God was bringing him. And so God does something. He brings Adam to this point. By the way, uh, this is the definition of spiritual maturity. When you see things like God sees them. And that's what God is doing in all of our life. Trying to get us to that point. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Uh, paraphrase. God kills Adam. He puts him down. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. The word rib there is a bad translation. Uh, the Hebrew word is selah. Everybody say it with me. Selah. Not like uh, selah, which is in the Psalms. That's a different word, entirely different meaning. Selah. Say it with me one more time. Selah. It means part of the side of the man doesn't mean a rib it just means from the side uh, the word is used 41 times in the scripture only in this con only in this passage is it translated rib everywhere else it's not it's translated side or or something of the similar uh, so he takes the side of Adam and look what happens verse 22 and the rib or the side uh, the the salah uh, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Interesting. When God made Adam, where did he make Adam from? The dirt of the ground. God formed him from the dirt. He breathed into him the spirit of God. And he became a living being. When God made animals, where did he make them from? We just read it, right? Look at verse... 19, out of the ground. So when God made a horse, where did he make the horse from? The bird? Where did he make the bird from? The giraffe? Where did that come from? You mean to tell me that every single living creature on this earth was made from the dirt except for one? Except for Eve. God ran out of dirt? <laughs> 
God didn't run out of dirt. What is God doing? What is God doing? Well, God is trying to teach Adam a very important lesson. Adam, she's you. She's taken from you. By the way, this is a foreshadow. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus laid down his life and died. And they thrust a spear into his where? Side. And out of his side came blood and water. And from that side, a bride was created. From the side of Jesus. And Jesus arose by God's power. And when he arose, he found a spotless bride without spot or blemish, perfectly righteous, radiating in glory, the bride of Christ. And he gave her his name, just like Adam gave his wife his name. Adam must have understood the message because Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she is taken out of man. The Hebrew is even more emphatic. She shall be called Isha for she is taken out of Ish. Jesus did the exact same thing we are called Christians, for we are taken out of Christ. He gave us his name. Wow. Hear the gospel being preached in the first pages of creation. And how powerful it is. Uh, I quoted verse 23 to you. Now let's look at verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, no longer a dependent, now a provider, and they shall become one flesh. This is God's will for us in marriage. This is God's design for us in marriage. God's design in marriage is that a husband and wife would be one flesh. And here's what God is telling Adam, and here's what he is telling all of us men. Adam, pay attention. She's you. You tear her down, you tear yourself down. You speak derogatorily of her, you just rip yourself apart. You build her up, you build yourself up. You nourish her, you nourish yourself. You take care of her, you lift her up, you become a stronger, better human. She's you. Here's God's message to men. Men, be careful. The house you build is the house you live in. And if you don't like who your wife is, go take a look in the mirror. She's a reflection of your leadership. This is God's design. I had guys come to me after the first service. Dude, why are you so hard on us? It was like this. When are you going to talk about the wives? You know what? I can tell you this honestly. Guys, if I can get your attention, I don't even need to talk to the wives. God designed it where you are the initiator, she is the receiver. The physical only reflects the spiritual. 
You are the giver, she is the receiver. And when you give properly, both of you are blessed in amazing ways. The physical is just a picture of the spiritual. Do you understand? This is God's design. You're one flesh. Therefore, guys, we're not keeping score. Well, you got this, and you got this, what about this, and you did this. No, 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 no. Wrong picture, wrong idea of marriage. And ladies, you're one flesh. Therefore, encourage him. Help him. Encourage him to be the best leader he can be. And both of you will win. And instead of nagging at him and complaining about him, instead encourage him, support him, and cheer him on. Isn't it an amazing what a man will do, what a woman is cheering him on? Isn't it amazing? Guys are just made that way. We realize this in sports, like we figured this out a long time ago. Hey, the guys will play a lot better if we put some cheerleaders on the side just encouraging them. <laughs> I mean, they'll tackle twice as hard, then they'll look over. Hey, did you see that, baby? I can't see straight, but wasn't that great? Yeah, he's doing that for her. Hey, when my wife believes in me and when she cheers me on, I'm like, man, I got to make this work. She thinks I can do it, right? I mean, it's like a guy will do anything to, to when he's got a, got a girl cheering him on. This is God's design for marriage, and it's amazing. We're very different, but we're one flesh as we come together, and it's so awesome. Hey, I need your prayers. Uh, this week... Um, I'm meeting with some producers of a new documentary on marriage, and the documentary is going to be titled, Baptizing Feminism. They called, I haven't spoken to them yet, they called and set up an appointment, they want to meet with me. Uh, I went and did some research after I found out, and I looked at it, and they're like, uh, Baptizing Feminism, it's all about roles in marriage, and they've got very different views than what the Bible teaches. And I can't wait to bring some truth to this picture. Here's what I want you to know. Uh, one of their memes said, God is a feminist. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure he's not, by the way. Now, hey, I am all for women's rights. Absolutely. Jesus was an advocate of women's rights. Jesus treated women amazing in a world that did not. Let me say it again. Jesus treated women amazing in a world that did not. But God is not a feminist. And if you are having to fight for the rights in your marriage, here's what I know. You don't know God's design for marriage. Because a godly leader, a godly man, his wife doesn't have to fight for any rights he makes sure they're all being fulfilled, they're all being upheld, that they're all being honored. And so, uh, so important. I would cover your prayers for that. Um, uh, so God's design for marriage, that we be one flesh. Here's another thing we learn for God's design for marriage. God's design for marriage is that we would be naked and unashamed. Look at verse 25. Uh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were, say it with me, not ashamed, not ashamed. Here's what that doesn't mean, by the way. 
It doesn't mean that they didn't realize each other were naked. No, no, no. God gave, made Adam and Eve, and he told them when he made them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. He told them that right out of the gate. And Adam said, Lord, your commandments are my delight. I will obey all of your commandments. I love your commandments. They're amazing, Lord. Anything you say, yes. Uh, so that's not what it means. What does it mean then, naked and unashamed? What is God talking about? Well, here's what God is talking about. That uh, we would come together as one flesh and that we would realize that I, uh, the man has some giftings that the woman doesn't have. And the woman has some giftings that the man doesn't have. And instead of being ashamed of my lacking, I would be just covered in those things. It means that uh, uh, there's no... There's no fear, there's no worry about being judged for shortcomings. Let me ask you, who was made in the image of God, Adam or Eve? Both. Let me ask you this, who had the complete image of God, Adam or Eve? Neither. Neither. Just like the church body. I do not have all the gifts, you do not have all the gifts, but we come together as one body and all the gifts of Christ are here when we're together. And I love it. We had so many meals go out to so many hurting families this week. You guys are amazing. We had so many gifts. Oh, by the way, we've got a ton of oranges over out here on the table for you from Doug and Jen. I can never say the last name right. Gazamoda, I think is how you say it. Doug and Jen, uh, just tons of oranges. There's bags out there. Help yourself. You're welcome. Um, but the body of Christ. Now, Adam didn't bear all the image of God. Eve didn't bear all the image of God. Uh, Adam was strong and firm. Eve was nurturing. Adam wasn't nurturing. There were differences in the giftings, and when they came together, they bear the image of God more fully, right? And here's what it's saying, that they, weren't, they were naked and unashamed. It wasn't like, oh, you, got, you, got, you don't know how to do that? What is wrong with you? Why aren't you good at that? No, no, no. It was this. Oh, hey, no problem. You know what? I'm, I'm, I can actually do that part. No problem at all. I'll cover you completely. Oh, you're, you're, I'll take care of this. I'll cover that complete. That's God's design. Naked and unashamed. It's such a cool design for marriage. It means you're totally safe with each other. Your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities are safe with each other. They'll be covered by each other and perfect, perfected by each other. Uh, you don't have to cover your blemishes. You don't have to protect yourself. You don't have to pretend that you're perfect. You're able to be totally honest about your blemishes without any shame. You don't, no one's going to go, oh, is that a stretch mark? Is that a cellulite? What the heck's wrong with you? No, no, no. There's going to be, there's going to be no shame in any of the blemishes that you have. Why is that important? Why is that God designed for marriage? Here's why. Because we thrive in a safe environment. We thrive when we are safe to mess up, when we are safe from judgment. It's a great place to be when we are totally safe, and that's what God wants marriage to be. I learned something when my kids were little. Uh, when I was coaching their, their little league teams, I learned something. The kids who were the best hitters in baseball were the kids who were not afraid of striking out. 
If a kid got up to the plate, he was afraid of striking out. Oh, I just knew he would never enjoy baseball, never be a good hitter. But you get a kid up there and you get him to realize, hey, it's okay, strike out, I don't care. Do you realize in the pros, if a guy strikes out seven out of ten times, he has an amazing batting average? Don't even worry about striking out, man. You just get up there and you have fun hitting that ball. Guess what happens? So next thing you know, they're just a great hitter, right? I mean... And that's a picture of what God designs marriage to be. This is a safe environment where you can thrive. Totally safe. Uh, uh, you know, as a guy, as a man, I want you to know something. I hope you do this in your marriage. I talk to my wife about all my flaws and about all my blemishes and all my weaknesses. I say, baby, I'm really weak in this. I'm struggling in this. And, and she does the same with me. And there's no shame. Naked and unashamed. God's designed for marriage. I've rambled on too long. I need to close this up. Uh, may I say to you, this is the same kind of marriage that you have with Jesus as the bride of Christ. If you confess your sins, he doesn't say, what the heck is wrong with you? You do that? No, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all your righteousness and to say, no worry, my righteousness will cover that. What a great marriage. What a great husband he is. And now husbands, emulate him and be that for your wives. And wives, emulate his plan, walk in his plan, and uh, just an amazing creator. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.